Hey Nat. Hello Helen. Shall we do a lovely intro for our lovely listeners? Yes, why are we doing it again? Because you guys were really rude <gasps> and you just talked all over me. Oh no. <laughs> no. Back to the recording. No, no, we were so nice. I promise it was Naughty Anchor. I'm going to blame Naughty Anchor as well. So basically, listeners, you're going to enjoy this one because it's really good content. But at some point, you might hear the punchline before we say the joke. We're not laughing at Helen. We're laughing at something she said in the future. <laughs> Bear with us. But, uh, but everything seems to have got a little bit muddled up with the, um, with the data recording. So uh, we won't be using Anchor to record anymore. But for this last one, we hope you enjoy this episode. Um, it's actually really great with Jessica Barker and Madeline Howard. We had so much fun, didn't we, Nat? We did. We did. Naughty anchor. But you're going to love it. <laughs> you are. You're going to love it. So well, the, the only last thing to say, really, is Merry Christmas, listeners. And we can't wait to see you in 2021. Merry Christmas, listeners. We love you. Enjoy. Bye. Bye. Hello and welcome listeners to this episode of the Ladies Hacking Society podcast. I'm Helen and the Chapter Support Manager for LHS and today we have the fabulous Dr Natalie Cole, expert, now cyber engineer and chapter lead for our Cheltenham Hacking Society hosting with us. Say hello to the lovely hello, listeners. Hello lovely listeners. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Um, I love your story because... Um, I love your story about how you got into the hacking society and your journey into cyber. Do you want to just tell the listeners uh, about how you got um, So, yes, very briefly, as Helen's mentioned, I'm a career changer. I'm one of the Ladies Hacking Society career changers. And I used to be a vet, so not a technical job at all. Um, I've been part of the Ladies Hacking Society for a couple of years now. Um, and I first got involved when it was the Ladies of London Hacking Society. Uh, and once a month, I used to catch the train in from Gloucester, um, go into London for the Cyber Kill Chain Labs, uh, and then just leg it for the last train back home. Um, and they were good times, um, but now it's nice to have some stuff a little bit closer to home. So now I'm a cyber engineer and I'm working in that as my day job. And my favorite things are coding, red teaming, and I love doing CTFs. And this year we opened the Ladies of Cheltenham Hacking Society. So we've got one closer to home. Um, we had our first event in August. Um, we're also hosting the Christmas event for LHS in December. And we are planning our 2021 meetups now. So keep an eye out for what's coming up. Uh, it's awesome that your cyber journey is such a cool and courageous story i really love it so really, it's really actually it. through networking and setting up the Cheltenham chapter that we've been lucky enough to connect with the Sinam community group and also met our guests for today's podcast yeah i'm so excited about this one as we're talking disinformation and misinformation and our guests are amazing so yeah, i am delighted amazing. to welcome to the lhs podcast dr jessica barker and also madeline howard of cygenta and Sinam. welcome Hello. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. It's great again. to be here. Brilliant, brilliant. Do you, do you want to tell our lovely listeners a little bit about yourselves? And um, so, just tell us about yourselves. Who's going first? <laughs> yes, you go first. You're far more interesting. <laughs> oh, oh, that's definitely not true. Um, personally, but I'll go first. So hello everyone, it is great to be um, speaking with you all on this podcast. So I'm Dr. Jessica Barker, um, I do a few things. Uh, my main job is as co-CEO of Cygenta. Um, at Cygenta, I run the company with my husband, FC, and we work on the human, technical and physical sides of cybersecurity. I lead on the socio-technical work, so all about awareness, behaviour and culture. And I work with Madeline, so great to be on the podcast uh, with her today. I'm also the chair of Club CISO, which is an industry body bringing together, I think we're up to about 500 um, chief information security officers actually now around the world to talk about all things security and share with one another. And I'm the author of the number one best-selling book, Confident Cybersecurity, <laughs> and um, the co-author of another book coming up to be published in January, which is the Cybersecurity Ooh. ABCs, again, all around awareness, behavior, and culture. 
amazing that's fabulous so one book didn't put you off you thought you'd they were kind of both at the same time (laughs) which I don't yeah you were very busy you were very busy (laughs) yeah just for just for a change things interesting (laughs) what about you Madeline do you want to tell everybody a little bit about yourself so I'm Madeline Howard I am the socio-technical engagement manager at Sygenta so Jess is my fabulous boss um, and I support Jess with supporting clients with their awareness raising work, which is really interesting. I'm also a director of Cynam, Cyber Cheltenham, which is the UK's largest cluster, cyber cluster in the UK. And I work one day a week as an I-100 for the NCSC, supporting their Cyber First scheme, um, particularly focusing on getting more young people into studying computer science at school, thinking about it as an A-level, GCSE and future career options. So a few different hats, um, not writing any books, but we'll definitely be reading Jess's books. <laughs> yeah, but really cool. You guys actually have your own TV show, though, don't you? Uh, well, you know, we are waiting for the call up to Good Morning Britain. But um, yeah, no, it's been, a, it's been a cool year learning how to do that broadcasting malarkey. It's, it's, it's rather fun, um, but a few blood vessels are burst in the, in the run up to it. It's amazing, though. And you joke about <laughs> Good bet, Morning Britain, but it's not really a joke. It's only a matter of time, I think. Um, oh, God. I need a bit more, you know, concealer for my forehead, which gets rather stressed and sweaty. <laughs> but no, it's been it's been very fun to do. Um, yeah. <laughs> so so does Good Morning Britain have a bigger kind of like makeup artist department? Than yeah, I mean, for when yeah, you go we did only screen. have kind of yeah. one dodgy cracked flat pack of powdered concealer, which actually all of the blokes <laughs> were wanting a dab of. <laughs> Yes, all of the blokes were concerned about the light shining off their foreheads more than the women, which I thought was absolutely hilarious. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. How many? How many episodes? Have um, you so we've done now? two, and uh, we're going to do another one next March. I think will be our first of next year. Um, the virtual. I think virtual's really worked for a lot of people. Um, and it's been it's meant that we've kind of expanded our audience beyond Cheltenham, which I think has been really nice because people have been able to tune in from all over the UK. And we have had an international audience as well, um, which is very exciting. So, yeah, totally unexpected. But I think it was important to adapt um, and, and bring people together during this year when people were just a bit fed up, really. Yeah, but it, high quality TV production. Uh, we're, we've really enjoyed it, and we, we you you have a following, you have a fan base oh. in LHS. Oh, definitely. If you've um, well, it's so. been. Oh, she can say now. It's been great to have um, you involved in the last two events, um, running the breakout events, because I think it's important for you know you've got all these different community groups, but it's important to bring them all together and kind of show a bit of unity. So we've loved having um the ladies of Cheltenham Hacking Society but also kind of the wider um groups involved as well it's been really fantastic yeah we've loved being part of it as well and I think it's something that really demonstrates how incredible it is to have that sense of community so with the ladies hacking society it started off in London and has now spread out across the country um but even as we were starting up in Cheltenham I remember you guys were the first people we called and in the space of one conversation we had a plan in place and we couldn't have done it without you. So yeah, it's been so great to team up. Really looking forward to doing it again next year. Oh, absolutely. You've got a piece of my heart, that's for Aww. sure. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Aww. so without further ado, I think let's kick off. We've got we we know that you're our amazing celebrity guests. Um, so let's kick off with the discussion for today. So today we're going to be talking about disinformation and misinformation. And the first question is. Can you tell us a little bit more about it? Uh, what's the difference between the two things and why is it important? So I think the key thing with disinformation and misinformation is the intent behind it. And the difference is that disinformation, there is the intent to mislead. There is you, you are deliberately wanting to be malicious, manipulate facts for an agenda misinformation is where information is just reported 
falsely there isn't an an intent to be malicious and so you see the words being used interchangeably but there is a difference and I think that's important to recognize that difference particularly when we're talking about it in a cyber security context when actually we know that there are malicious actors out there that are using disinformation as a viable method to you know engage people spread information that can engage people with scams or kind of manipulate further agendas that they have so so actually just thinking about those scams that you've just mentioned actually have you got any recent examples that that you, that you could kind of like share that um where it's been used to kind of target people specifically oh, has anything happened this year for example around i mean COVID? there's been jess we did some research on it there's been loads that have been using covid hasn't there there has um, it's really a, a perfect storm i think for cyber criminals covid19 because we all want more information about it or you know most of us are keen for more information about it and a lot of people are very anxious about it so um there's been a huge amount of um both misinformation and disinformation around it i would say there was a there was a really um good example of so when it comes, you know, we see in cybersecurity that they'll always want to have that element of trust if they're doing phishing scams or whatever. And this is the same with COVID is that criminals recognized early on that, you know, people in the NHS, doctors, nurses, we put a lot of trust in them. And so um, the, we've seen lots of examples of where cyber criminals would either be ripping off legitimate accounts or compromising um, NHS doctors and nurses accounts to spread information or to tweet something that connects to a scam or you know it's that element of trust that's really been exploited and I think during this pandemic we've really clung on to people who we trust and you know with there's that love for the NHS and unfortunately um, you know cyber criminals are wise to that and so they have really exploited it throughout throughout the last few months. That's really rubbish, mm. isn't it? That's just really rubbish. <laughs> I think it's happens, oh, sorry no happens, oh no go ahead I was gonna say I think it's really interesting how you said Jess about how it's people wanting to know more information and I think I think that combination of wanting to know more not sure what's happening but also being stuck at home and online I think links in really nicely to how as well as being a, a general issue this is something that's very much a, a a cyber issue in something because we're spending more time online as you said it's a perfect storm yeah, and it's so Madeline actually wrote a really interesting article on it. So I, I do recommend people have a look at um, our blog, blog.sigenta.co.uk, and read everything that Madeline wrote about it. Um, and one thing that that stood out was a quote that she included from the Director General of the World Health Organization, who says, "We're not just fighting an epidemic; we're fighting an infodemic." And in this time where we all want more information. Um, and as you say, you know, we're at home, we're trying to find out more about this evolving situation. The information on COVID-19 has changed really quickly and new information's coming out all the time. So it's this kind of changing landscape that scammers and cyber criminals have unfortunately been very keen to take advantage of. And I think there's different ways in which cybersecurity comes into this. You know, we sometimes can overlook in cybersecurity that that our area is not just about confidentiality, but it's about integrity of information as well. So clearly very relevant to the topic of misinformation and disinformation. I think one of the other things that I've come across, so I, I, I will confess this isn't my area of expertise, so I did a little bit of studying ahead of this podcast. And one of the things that I found really interesting is just the speed, especially using technology and things like Twitter and social media, the speed at which um, posts can spread. And there was one figure that came out, um, I think it was in the context of the American election, but they were talking about a post reaching 30,000 people within a couple of minutes. Um, and that's something that is incredibly powerful, I think. Well, it's amazing because, you know, social media is fantastic for so many reasons, but suddenly you don't have to search for information information can be fed to you without you even looking for it through twitter through facebook you don't even have to be connected 
to people anymore to see it you you know it's it's a constant feed of information that actually um isn't always the information that we are wanting to look for or see but because you're you know you can use a an image that grabs you in or a headline that grabs you in and suddenly if you if you've clicked on it there's that opportunity for you to to be exposed to the information that they're sharing i i also find it quite i mean it says a lot about group behavior as well actually and 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 the and the power of belief because when that speed of information dissemination goes goes so wide um, and if you think about it in the context of say for example how many supporters a well-known politician over in america might have that you know reaching his base to be able to say you know it was fake news the election was fake you know um it was all rigged then people because of that trust that implicit trust as well as well everybody else has received it everybody else is believing it so therefore it must be true it is um it is again adding into that perfect storm of how you know misinformation and disinformation can spread and it and it brings up a it, it's a huge challenge it, it, I'm not entirely sure how you can count yeah and it's it, i think mads you quoted this i can't i think it was um a study that found that disinformation travels much quicker than real news. So on um, social media, we actually have this really challenging position where disinformation is, is being shared more, it's being commented on more. And so actually, you've got this imbalance between disinformation, which is spreading much quicker than actual real facts and real news. Yeah, I think it was um, it was six times quicker uh, on Twitter, um, and it's interesting the people that are actually spreading disinformation. You kind of you know you've got different groups because you you know I'm sure that between the four of us we're not sat spreading you know misleading information because we want to, but you have got you know groups that will just do it because they think it's funny to spread information that maybe a COVID vaccine makes you grow ten arms. Um, you've got cyber criminals that actually there's that there is a really malicious side that they want to connect you. They want to do ABCD. Um, you've then got, you know, like Helen mentioned, you've got the political side of things, which obviously disinformation is huge. We see it, you know, the Russia, America, whether it's manipulating the West, there's a lot of that. Um, and then you've got, you know, the conspiracy theorists that we're hearing about lots at the moment who actually do believe the information but don't realize the damage that's being done um when it's being spread so it's interesting who's spreading it and for what reason because each of those groups have a different reason i think as well so, so what's that paper called that you um i wrote a blog on it on our on the Sygenta um blog page so uh, so the same one as the COVID one that Jeff yes. mentioned earlier. Yeah, we'll yes. make sure that there's a link. Yeah, we can send the send the link to make sure that it's um. That you've got the one. Yeah. Everybody can. It find was it. a joy. It, it was really interesting, and because um, I I you know I'd read quite a lot of it online, and Jess and I were trying to work out you know, it, when is the right time to do something on disinformation that's not just about the political side of things, and I think it's important that we talk about it from a cybersecurity point of view and actually what impact does that have for individuals for organizations for countries um so we went back and forth on it jess didn't mm -hmm. we as to how when was going to be the right time and actually what was that narrative that draws it all together and goes actually this is a cybersecurity problem and it's not just something that should be considered a political propaganda problem Oh yeah, no, no. I actually, I completely agree. Um, I completely agree because it's like it, it, it's a weaponization of information, and as we are now living more and more on digital spaces, online, you know, um, then the, then the way in which information goes out, and if it affects mass behaviour, mass thinking, mass belief, then that absolutely um, affects politics culture you know social norms the things that people do it, it, you know, absolutely and the, the way we talked about it, it um when madeline was sort of doing all, all of this research and pulling it all together was in that perspective of it being mass social engineering 
because a lot of the same tactics that we see in, you know, phishing and other social engineering attacks are being used when it comes to um, disinformation in terms of manipulating people's um, emotions and using sort of certain triggers to try and pull people in. The same tactics really apply across both. Is that is that some? Are there any um, sort of key points that you could share on that? Because I remember when we've talked about it previously, Madeline, you've had some really interesting, really simple things. Like I think you mentioned one of them was just the use of the colour red, for example. Yeah. So we, you know, it, we see this all the time with social engineering stuff. Is they will use triggers, and um, there was an example of Martin Lewis, the money saving expert. And um, there was an advert that appeared um, saying that he'd died. So it was a celebrity death scam. And what they'd done is they'd, um, you know, used a, a tab that had breaking news read. And that, that, you know, that's what the BBC do. That's what news outlets do when it's real breaking news. So it, it gives you a sense of, you know, urgency to click on it. And actually what it was doing is it was a completely fake story and connecting you to a Bitcoin scam. So we're seeing exactly the same things that's, criminals would use in social engineering and you know posts on social media they're, they're drawing those into the d disinformation stories because unfortunately they know that they work um so it's important that we kind of raise awareness about them so people just take a moment to think not only when they see an email or a whatsapp but when they see news articles or information online um what's that kind of hidden agenda if there is one that's a, a great example as well. Another thing I remember you pointing out with the Martin Lewis death scam in particular was the fact that he has such high trust ratings among British yeah. people. So I remember Madeline kind of saying to me, you know, they're particularly using him because it is a way to kind of abuse his, his credibility and the way that he is trusted so much. You associate when you see Martin Lewis, you kind of immediately going to have that kind of high level of trust as to anything you even see his name or face attached to. Um, so it really shows actually how this gets, the trust gets to the heart of this and trying to abuse our trust and take advantage of this is a, a really core tactic. So have we almost got to start teaching cynicism, if you like, in our, to our, to our, uh, to our younger generations as well about how to, you know, have a healthy dose of critical thinking and questioning about when they just see a headline and actually, is that really, you know, you should you should read the whole piece. I mean, it's not just the younger generation, Helen, because my mum needs to be taught it as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> honestly, mum, she cried. No, I think it, that, that critical thinking, um, I think is really important. And that's, you know, that comes under a lot of things. I think, you know, we've said about the amount of information we see, but to be able to look at something and think critically is really important. Um, but not only to think about, you know, is the headline actually what the story says, but actually where's that come from? Um, you know, there are lots of um, fact-checking sources you can use online. But also recognising, actually, if I don't know where this has come from, I'm not going to WhatsApp it to all of my friends where I live. Like my mum the other day said that the reason the COVID cases in um, Gloucester are so high is because there was a 7,000 person rave. There wasn't. There was a 700 person rave, but her friend had told her it was 7,000. So she's gone now and told however many people it was 7,000. So it's completely taking it out of context and just yeah. that's just spreading misinformation. But it's that's the way that we are as humans. You know, we hear something that's shocking or whatever and we want to tell, tell other people. Um, but actually we haven't, you know, I did a yeah. quick Google and showed yeah. mum the news article and it said it was 700 and suddenly she felt quite silly because she hadn't done that critical thinking and recognised that it was it was wrong do you know what you I, I know I keep hogging the call a little bit but you just made you just made me think of something that was really 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 interesting <laughs> it was just like it's that disengagement piece it's that when you think about people who perhaps but belong to like a more medical group like QAnon or, you know, like, like there's a core set of beliefs, you've got to be really cautious about how you try and, you know, 
disengage or unpick some of that thinking if it is actually a little bit more dangerous you know how have you ever written anything about that Jess or, or Madeline about how to help people disengage from it's really challenging I think when it's got that emotional that kind of angle so it can be hard because if someone feels very um kind of wedded to a, a story or a theory and if you try and argue with them on the basis of facts um sometimes you know like the example Madeline just gave you you show someone the fact and they say oh okay that was that was silly of me um that's good that you've corrected me other times if it's kind of tapping into a core belief of theirs then actually no matter the facts you tell them um they're going to find a way of resisting those avoiding them or thinking that the facts are fake news we're in this tricky mm. situation lately where the term fake news has kind of been weaponized and as much as there is fake news out there and it's good to avoid it and point it out we're also finding that re real news is being labeled fake news by those who want to dispute the real news so it's very, it's very challenging See, that's something that I find really interesting, just from if you were using it, say this was something that was your tactical strategy. It's so complex. So, for example, one of our key um, defences against it is teaching people critical thinking. But equally, you've got the people who are pushing, for example, a, a particular conspiracy theory, that they are the ones who are actually thinking critically, speaking truth to power. Mm -hmm. And then that's a defence straight against... Um, are sort of well-intentioned defences. Um, and the other thing that I find really interesting is the interplay between combating misinformation and disinformation um, and against the backdrop of protecting free speech. And I think that's something that, again, is incredibly complex to tease out. I mean, what are your thoughts on, on that? Oh, gosh. Uh, I mean, again, Jess and I had a very lengthy conversation about, you know, free speech, fake news, disinformation. And I think it's it's really um, tricky because, you know, people who believe conspiracy theories, like Jess said, they will argue that that that, you know, that's what they believe, because here's the facts. Um, I think when it comes to, you know, free speech and disinformation, for me, it's about making sure that people who are spreading fake news and disinformation with a malicious intent, we need to protect the people that are going to be harmed because of the malicious intent. If there isn't that malicious intent, I think people can, you know, believe what they be want to believe. But people who are spreading stories rumors and lies that take advantage and exploit vulnerable people i think that's the people we need to protect and they're the people that we need to make sure um aren't harming you know harming our most vulnerable so there was a really interesting article in the times recently um and it was um some information it was only limited because of the nature of what it was but about how government agencies are tackling this and one of the distinctions that they will draw is if they can show that the person spreading disinformation is a an actor uh, working abroad or outside the UK, that's it's much easier for them to take action. Um, whereas if it's someone within the UK and they can't prove that it's it, it's just a normal citizen, that's something that's absolutely off limits. So that's an interesting line that can be drawn in some places. Um, but I suppose the question is when you've got people who are on our team, as it were, who are actively spreading this information and contributing to that, it's something that can be incredibly difficult to challenge. Yeah, I think, you know, whether we're looking at it at an organisational or, you know, a government level, it's going to be a really difficult challenge. Um, and I think, you know, you can look at it at varying degrees, whether you've, you're looking at it from a state actor point of view or you're looking at it at people just trying to influence and create an agenda. Um, it's very difficult. And I think the way that technology is going, you know, we're starting to see social media platforms um, you know, flag up um, if you want to. Do you want to check the facts? We saw it with the recent election with most of Donald Ooh, Trump's yes. tweets um, <laughs> being flagged, which was absolutely it was joyous to see. Um, yeah, yeah, to go on his page and just see, you know, it was, it? I so it. <laughs> it, it, it's great to start to see that. But I think there's a real challenge on our hands 
um, to try and put a, there's, we're not going to be able to put a lid on it. I think it's gone past being able um, to kind of, you know, control it in some way. Yeah. I think we're way off that um, at all. I think it's a can of worms. Mm. Yeah. Completely agree. I mean, trying to think about how, when there's like, there's 3.5 billion social media users across the world so that's like about 45 percent of the world's population have access to social media and um, when you think about that you know the different countries that have you know better internet access and you know and the ones that might want to farm information out to you know for their own use and actually use it as a controlling mechanism i think you're right we've you know <laughs> got the horses are well out in the field they're over in next door's garden and i think one of the challenges with it as well is you get well-intentioned people <laughs> sharing um a story you know when they see and it's fake and they'll they'll share it to kind of say this is ridiculous this is fake this is terrible but actually in sharing it you're giving it more airtime and you're actually yeah. perpetuating it even when you're trying to fight it. And that's one of the most difficult things is that actually sometimes what we do to try to limit it can make it worse. So you're left wondering as an individual, well, what, what can I do? Yeah, absolutely. Do you know what I have actually loved? Um, there's a yeah. lady called, I think her name's Mariana Spring. And through the COVID-19 pandemic, she's the BBC disinformation reporter it's this new role um that they've created and she's fantastic she really just explains everything in a really easy to understand way and so it was really great to see you know a mainstream news outlet institution like the BBC saying okay we're no we're going to create a role and we're going to have somebody who is there, you know, feeding through all of this information and 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 giving you, you know, what is right and what is not factually correct. Um, and I think that's probably been really helpful for a lot of people, particularly when there is so much information being pumped out that's not true. There's services like Full Fact as well, aren't there? You see them pop up quite a lot on Twitter and Facebook. Um, they'll highlight key stories that are going around today and give you all the facts as an independent body. I really like those. I find those really useful if if someone shared something and I kind of need to go, oh, look, no, don't worry, actually, here's the proper information. Yeah, no, I, th I think I think there's, you know, things like that is heading in the mm -hmm. right direction. But as Helen said, the horses are up the neighbour's garden and about... <laughs> <laughs> I'm <laughs> gone. I'm gone. Yeah, yeah. But, but 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 the really good points actually. So so how do we um you know are there any ways in which we can actually start to kind of you know rein things in a little bit? I think we've got to live with it. You know, I don't think we're ever going to go back. To, well, social media is here to stay. The digital world is here to stay. I don't think we're ever going to get away from it. So how do we start living with it in our lives? And I think, sure um, Jess, I'm hoping you'll agree that um, a lot of it comes down to, you know, providing awareness for people that potentially wouldn't have access to blogs or content that we as an infosec community push out and it's about engaging people like your parents or your neighbors and you know get providing them with a bit of awareness of actually oh you know fullfact.org does exist or you can look at things like here and if we're thinking about in a cybersecurity context you know actually sometimes they spread disinformation because they want to connect you to scams and then providing awareness around how you can better protect yourself so it's not um you know a scary topic that is a that is only kind of spoken about in the news when you're talking about you know xyz but actually something that you can have conversations about and challenge each other critically think but actually provide that awareness um, that makes people feel more comfortable if they do see it, that it's not something that kind of overwhelms them. <laughs> oh, no, a we're not allowed board, board games. games this Christmas. We could come up with a new board game. You can play it over Zoom or Teams <laughs> <Yes>. or... <laughs> no, not Zoom. <laughs> no. 
<laughs> Other conferencing platforms are available. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I totally agree. I think awareness um, and if you can make awareness uh, fun with a board game, I'm all for it. Um, and I think one of the key things to help people understand is that same message that we share around social engineering, which is this stuff generally works because it plays on our emotions. And so um, we can all, just like those kind of phishing emails and phishing messages, we can all fall yeah. prey to this. You know, we can all see a story um, or read a message that taps into a, an emotion that for us might be a sort of particular trigger. And so recognizing that if that's your response, if you have an emotional response to a piece of information, that is actually the time to take a step back. And that might be when you want to pause from sharing it or amplifying it. That might be when you want to go and, um, and interrogate it through, you know, looking, looking on full fact, doing a search more widely. Um, if there's images involved, doing a Google reverse image search to see actually are those images genuine? When did they first appear? But that first response, that emotional response is for me, the thing that I try and encourage people to really look out for and to listen to. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so if you even if something pops up on your mobile phone as news, and you know, it's just thinking, you know, do I have to do I have to go fact check all of this? It's actually, I think, having that little dose of cynicism, that little, oh, well, it said this, so I'm just going to take it at face value for now, but not me, not maybe really believe it wholly unless I can actually find, unless and maybe I think that it's important enough that I have to go in and verify it. And so I think verification is going to be around, you know, when it's political, when it's things that, you know, are going to affect me. Mm -hmm. So maybe, maybe I would have liked to fact check some of Brexit a little bit more. <laughs> there's um, there's a, uh, there's actually something the been really interesting in the news today <laughs> actually about this. So um, it's over um between Australia and China, um, and China has been Ooh, accused cool. of sharing a image um of an Australian soldier that's linked to their conflict in Afghanistan, um, but it's a soldier holding a child. And basically, over the last couple of days, it's it's basically been debunked. Um, and Australia saying it's it's a it's a it's a fake photo. It's not a genuine photo. It's something that's been composed. Um, and they've challenged China about this, but China are, are still sort of holding their corner, which is really interesting because even when something has been shown to be false, there are potentially actors who will still double down and continue to use it <laughs> yeah yeah the truth about lying you know and when <laughs> isn't it and then sometimes people uh lie or or, or put or, or put things out there just to kind of you know, like spread the message even more doesn't it really um, jess have you ever you, you i mean you're, you're back yeah, well, so like sociology you know, when, um rather than like, psychology so more on that kind of um group level but i do think and i do think this is true the kind of okay. old saying that the if you want a lie to be believed you just keep repeating it um Deny till you die. <laughs> Hashtag. <laughs> Hashtag deny uh, That's the that idea that actually as humans, we start to believe something just when it's repeated enough. If we're confronted with the same message again and again and again, um, we sort of think, well, it's been repeated enough. Or we don't think, we just assume it's been repeated enough. Therefore, it must be true. I've kept seeing this everywhere, so it must be true. Um, and that can then be really dangerous, particularly when you think about that kind of political nation state level and you have literally, you know, information farms pumping this stuff out um, to make sure that it looks like it comes from enough sources and it's out there um, getting enough attention that eventually it's going to be believed. I suppose also in, in that part of the world, you've got the additional sort of technical boundary where their internet is very insular okay. and in terms of we as outside people might be seeing one narrative but actually the narrative within the country might be controlled to a certain degree so that's another layer of disinformation misinformation but also the technological point there is technological infrastructure to affect how people perceive things 
So complex. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> we, we could go on forever. I love this topic. I do. I think it's absolutely brilliant. I love it. Um, but actually, as you were as you were talking about social engineering there, Jeff, I'm just going to do. I'm just going to segue here because. Um, um, I know that you're you're married. Yeah. Tell them, Jess. We did a really social engineering gig. Yes. Yeah. I won't say I won't say too much, but um, but we have shared a a photo. Oh yeah. Are you allowed to say? It was before the pandemic, um, and we did a test on a hospital, and uh, that was really interesting um just in terms of kind of the it's so true that if you do anything with confidence people will (laughs) believe you um or they won't question you um and so one thing we were able to do actually was get our hands on some scrubs um and we we did put them on so there's a photo of us uh in those we didn't um we didn't go so far as to you know enter the um the the theater or anything do any brain <laughs> surgery we decided not to that <laughs> would have been a little out of scope and a little probably out of our comfort zones um but yeah the hospital were quite shocked at just how much you know we could we could get in terms of getting scrubs and getting to places we um we couldn't you know obviously we didn't go anywhere that would have been fe- interfered with patient care or do anything like that um but we got our hands on all sorts of devices and um a very kind person yeah. working for the hospital um led us straight to the server room when we asked um said oh it's a bit, it's a bit tricky to get to so follow me <laughs> and yeah got all sorts wow. of things um but and I have to say the hospital were one of the best clients in terms of taking that information and responding to it really quickly um taking it so seriously we did a lot of awareness raising um based on the findings and people were so responsive it really demonstrated an amazing culture in terms of there was no kind of resistance to the findings um there was no ego there it was just they were really glad to have all that information and then they acted on it really quickly to improve their defenses so that was brilliant no that is good that is good because like because my heart kind of sinks a little bit you know when you say you know they said oh it's complicated let let me show you how to get there that's that's human kindness isn't it and wanting to be blind and so that so that all the awareness generation that, that we have to give to people as part of cyber security and opportunities for scams and be a little bit more cynical and you know i i sometimes feel a little bit sad that we're asking people yeah, to give up their for me what i always recommend is not you know so the, the person that led us to the save a room is a you know you don't um you don't tell someone like off like that off or or tell them anything like that but and I will sort of say you can still be polite and challenge um so for that individual to say oh you know what um I I can't help you but what I can do is take you to reception and you know once they've done all that stuff of checking who you are and everything I'm sure they'll be able to help you so you can still be polite and challenge um for example you if you see someone in the days when we're in offices <laughs> you see someone walking around and you don't know who they are and they're not wearing a security badge and they maybe look a bit sus you don't have to go up and say who are you and what are you doing here you can say oh hi you look a little bit lost can I help you who are you looking for who are you who are you with let me take you back to reception you can you can do it with a smile on your face um and still challenge yeah 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 no you can there you go you can challenge and be polite so let's 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 ask everybody to do that um we're kind of getting (laughs) we've talked loads actually this is going to be a really lovely long do another lap and hoping that we're just going to do a little 10k (laughs) do another lap if you like <laughs> but but one of the things that we like to do um for our guests is we do like to ask 
for them to um, come up with a cyber hero. We'd, you know, we'd ask you to nominate either, a, you know, a person, a group, or an organisation. Um, doing you know, someone that we can call out, shout, and recognise, and then maybe, um, maybe follow and learn from as well. So I have, um, and I picked Madeline, a group you got or a, cyber a hero club. That you'd like to tell us about. Um, and I've picked this group of people because they are incredibly talented. They have persevered through the last few months and they have learned an exceptional amount about computer science, cybersecurity, um, and they have always done it with a huge smile on their face. And that is the Cyber Club at Wydean School, which is one of the schools in the Cyber First School um, initiative. And these kids are just so inspirational. They are always up for engaging with industry, doing interviews, you know, getting hands on. They've created an incredible amount of content over the pandemic for other students. And I just look at all of those young people and I think you're really going to go on to change the world and make it a much better place. So the Y Dean Cyber Crew are my cyber heroes. Woo! Oh, what great <laughs> cyber heroes. Yeah, Woo-hoo. I just, honestly, they're great cyber heroes. <laughs> they, they are just, they're just, I just look at them and so think, wow, yeah, it's scary how, how bright your futures are. But they are just fantastic youngsters. Um, and I think that we've we've seen over the last year that I've been engaged with them that a lot of industries that have you know engaged with those young people have felt inspired by them. And I think it's really nice that um, young people can inspire people that are already in the industry, and it can be a two way kind of process. Fab- fabulous. Yeah, I've I've got um, a kind of group you, as well. Has, for me, um, my for me, my cyber heroes are the people who we don't hear about in cybersecurity. There are so many people working in this industry who are working in critical national infrastructure, who are working on national security. People who can't tell us about their work, you know, who can't. Um, necessarily speak at conferences or go on podcasts or anything like that um, and they're the ones really doing a lot of, of stressful work a lot of stuff in kind of um, identifying um, incidents in incident response and so they're the people for me who are the real cyber heroes because they're often working in stressful jobs and then they sort of are in this position where they can't really talk about it that much and and can't necessarily get the thanks that they deserve. So that's who I want to give a shout out to. If you're uh, working in a job in cybersecurity and you're not able to talk about it, you're not able to give details, um, I want you to know that your work is appreciated and lots of us in the industry um, give you a, a round of applause, even if we can't necessarily know all the details of what you're doing. Agree. Oh, definitely. Here, here, yeah. And thank you very much. Thank, thank you from us too. <laughs> in a strange shaped building in Cheltenham, <laughs> which may or may not um, exist. Yeah, like it. And, and anybody who's in a big dome. Or, but, and, uh, yeah. We appreciate it. Keep up the good work. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Thanks. Um, I do. So, Matt, so this was really difficult. Matt, have you got anybody that, or anything? I've been so lucky and had so many people support like me. Um, so I'm I'm doing a local hero special, but I'm also being cheeky and doing more than one. Don't tell Helen. So, <laughs> oh, it's a scandal. Do it, Nat. So. <laughs> My first one is Madeline. I think Madeline Madeline is one of my heroes because she's just so incredible and she's always working her little socks off and she just does so much for the community. So Sinam events are amazing. If you've not been to one, you should definitely come along. And I'm not just saying that because ladies of Cheltenham are there. I'm saying that because they're amazing. Um, But I know that when Madeline has spare time, it very much goes back into the community. She's been a great support to us. And I think there's a lot of young people who are going to be really inspired by her. So Madeline, you're one of my heroes. And it's great that you're here. Oh, yay. Here, here. (laughs) 
And I'm going to sneak in a second one. So um, I have um, a mentor yeah. and I've been incredibly lucky to have an incredible mentor uh, at my workplace. And that is James. Um, and James is my hero because James is someone who knows, I think, everything about everything but is also incredibly supportive and especially when I'm feeling a bit stupid as a new person James would always say something kind so I think that everyone should have a James and we should all try to be a bit more like James so share our knowledge and lift everybody up rather than getting insecure and worrying about looking silly we should all be good to each other so yeah those are my heroes absolutely <laughs> oh Nat yay Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome, James. Awesome, James. Oh, did James. you hear that, actually? Um, Jess, oh, do you know that you were actually called out as a cyber hero in one of our previous podcasts? Did you? Oh, good. Good, good, good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There was a lady called uh, Molly Davis. Uh, and I seconded it because you helped me a lot when I was kind of like yeah. thinking about leaving marketing and I was doing other stuff and then uh, just getting oh, started with that. Yeah, and Jess was uh, the person who introduced me to Madeline. So without Jess and Madeline, really ladies business. of Cheltenham wouldn't yeah, be where it is now. So, so um, pleased to have you both here. Yeah, yeah. Yay. Ladies supporting ladies. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is why we brought uh, that. Yeah, they do. They do. <laughs> Uh, Christmas bells. One of my cats has just walked in, so we might end up with some bells on today's podcast again. (laughs) Yeah, Nat sent me a a little (laughs) meme that said, you know, how to prepare for... Don't tell the Royal College. Don't tell them, they'll take away my doctors. And it was gaffer tape your cat to the wall. They couldn't do anything. But that was (laughs) like... Um, uh, okay, so I'm, I'm going to go really quickly. So my my call out this this time is actually uh, an organisation. It, it, it's a non-profit called the Cyber Helpline. And it started popping up on my um, LinkedIn feed. And so I looked into it a little bit more. Uh, it's a non-profit kind of, that they were founded in 2017. And really, they're an inf- information security helpline. So they, they can advise people on what to do if they've been affected by ransomware um, they're staffed by volunteers you know uh, they they help people who've been uh, victims of cyber crime as well but quite importantly they do an awful lot around uh, cyber harassment and bullying for young people too so um, I know that they're a small organization there's, a, there's less than 20 people who work there they're an NGO um, and actually but they do some really great work uh, for people so I just wanted to call out the cyber helpline as uh, an organization that, that, that I really hope grows a lot in the next couple of years because as we as we advance digitally you know and people you know it, it's human nature I think to fall for some of these things awesome. sometimes that's it's really, really cool awful yeah to, that's really you know, good there are organizations there that can offer support I think are really important yeah yeah, it's quite a cool one. Really cool one. Yeah, so our next yeah. event is going to be in December. To, it's going to be on the 15th of December at 8pm. Um, and if you'd society. like more information, we'll put the details in the podcast notes, but you can also follow um, us. We're on uh, LinkedIn, we're on Twitter, we're on Meetup. So with a little bit of Googling, you'll find us without any problems. We're going to have the third part of our Android hacking workshop with Droid Andy, which has been great so far. So really looking forward to the third instalment. And we're also going to be joined by special guests the security queens who are going to be doing a red team demonstration for us to round off our um to pair with our talk about the cyber kill chain from this summer um so we're really looking forward to that we'll put the notes in the podcast notes for you and then i suppose the next thing is to ask um what um dr jessica barker and madeline have got coming up so is there any any news that you'd like to share with us or projects that you've got Irons in the fire. Jess, do you want to do from a side? Yeah. Quite there's a lot, I was just on. thinking that there's quite a there's quite a list of, of stuff. <laughs> um, we've we've been doing lots of fun uh, outreach stuff lately. Um, so things with teen tech, with unlock cyber, 
and um, with the Cyberfear schools. And we've also been running our own um, competition, cybersecurity writing competition, CyberVibe, um, which Madeline has been doing an amazing job of leading on. So that's all quite exciting at the moment. Um, we're doing loads of awareness raising lately and producing lots of great awareness raising content. It's a lot of fun for our clients. So expect to see more of that uh, early next year. There's going to be um, some announcements coming from Cygenta. And if you want to keep track of our announcements, you can do that various ways on the internet. Um, check out our website, cygenta.co.uk. Check out our blog, blog.cygenta.co.uk. You can sign up, subscribe, keep in touch with all of our latest news and information. Uh, we have a lot of fun over on our YouTube channel. So uh, check out Cygenta on YouTube, like and subscribe <laughs> and, um, and follow us on Twitter. <laughs> Yay. Yeah. Yay. There you go. You heard it. You heard it here first, people. Um, and Twitter, Sygenta HQ. Follow us there for all the latest news and tweets. Yeah. Um, and from a personal perspective, I'm still riding high on my book publication, um, my book Confident Cybersecurity, that was published by Kogan Page in September. And um, getting some really nice feedback on that. And very excited that um, a book I've co-authored. Um, will be published by BCS in January, and that is Cybersecurity ABCs. I think your book, your books are very definitely on my Christmas list. They look like they're really, um, they'd be really interesting to the Ladies Hacking Society members because it, the impression I get is that it's about making everything very accessible to people. Um, oh, that's exactly it, Natalie. It's, uh, I gave it to my friend and she just said, it was just like starting from the beginning, just making it accessible. Um, so, yeah, I would recommend well, well, Jess. I was going to say, you are my Madeline boss, has to say that. <laughs> no, but she's getting extra brownie um, points for yeah. doing it. <laughs> well, um, so the competition Jess mentioned, CyberVibe, um, <laughs> we are, the winners are going to get copies of Jess's book because we thought it would be, Jess wanted to give some to the students, yeah. but we thought that'd be perfect um for the students and we were only expecting maybe like 100 entries we've had 638 wow. <laughs> more have come um, in i hate to i mean I'm, I'm excited to say it but it's daunting uh, but more have actually come in while we've been recording this wow. podcast they just keep coming we've got 24 <laughs> hours till the deadline so so um, um, and we're going to um the winner will have their blog posted so we're going to re we're going to post one of these students blogs um which should be really exciting Excellent. yes do so if you're listening after december 2020 listeners then go back and find out who won Oh God! Yeah, that competition sounds um, amazing. So and then Sinam, what, what have you got coming up, Madeline? Sinam um, related and Cyber First related. Year. The theme is going to be on data breaches, but that obviously doesn't sound very sexy. So we're going to try and make that title sound a bit more, you know, va va vam. Um, but we're going to do it all around data breaches, looking at nation state data breaches. We'll have someone from NCSC speaking. Um, and then hopefully some CISOs, hopefully someone from a company who has um, kind of gone through that whole process of what happens when you have a data breach, ABCD. Um, so that will be next March, mainly because we all need to lie down after organising the last one. Um, so can't bring <laughs> ourselves to start doing it again. Um, but we are, we, if, if we are allowed, we will yeah. look to do a hybrid event. So we will have it virtualised, but we would maybe look to have you know, a few people come together in Hub 8 um, for a few beers. But, you know, that's very much depending. Um, and then we are in talks with the lovely Cheltenham yeah. Science Festival to do our summer event in partnership with them. Um, we did, we've done our last two summer events apart from this year with them. And it's really nice to, again, be able to support a local, you know, somebody who makes a real difference locally. Um, so, Natalie, I will definitely be in contact with you to get I'm very guys excited. involved um, if we're able to do something with the Chatham Science Festival because the Chatham Science is. Festival is awesome. They have adapted so well this year. Um, and, Jess, I know you and FC do loads of stuff yeah, with the festivals. Yeah, love them. 
Um, so hopefully next year it can all come together. Um, but you know, with Sinam, like and subscribe on the, on the platforms, Twitter, LinkedIn, that sort yeah. of thing. Um, just follow for updates because we're always doing little bits and bobs. Um, but our main event will be in March. Fabulous. That sounds absolutely brilliant. Yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, that does. That sounds absolutely brilliant. I'm just writing these things down. So please, will you send me send me the links so that um, we can add them for all of our listeners? And that'd be fabulous. Um, it was interesting what you were saying about the whole data breach stuff, looking at nation states and then also what CISOs do. But I think sometimes it's really interesting to talk about why individual people should care that uh oh i like it i'm writing it down and, um should they think about maybe it's time to change your password and things like that because sometimes yeah just those individuals you know why because why, we talk about such big big things though and it's nation states and uh, and cso's and companies but it kind of puts a bit of distance between actually well, it actually affects me as a person when a company's data is breached um, and the type of information that's put out. Yeah, there. So no, it's a really good point. I, I think always it's important to bring it back down to that personal level. Otherwise, people do go, yeah, you know, that's them, not me. Um, so, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're saving the planet um, we're, we're saving we're the well planet gone past the hour people have literally run for miles oh, no. listening to us on their on their podcast <laughs> 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 one one bit of lockdown belly gone another day of lockdown belly to go <laughs> but it, but honestly ladies thank you so much thank you thank you dr jessica barker for joining thank you very much madeline howard for being part of our podcast today thank you very much dr oh and Nathalie thank Cole, you thank you helen major for, for your um, podcasting wizardry uh, podcast and uh, you're a marvelous lady ladies, yes um, excellent <laughs> been great fun <laughs> i feel like we could probably talk for another hour easily <laughs> yeah thank you both so much for coming wonderful Easily, yes. easily. Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas. I just want to say thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, bye. 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 We can say that now.